the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Stock up on those plastic bags. They could be illegal in Pittsburgh by next year. City Council advanced the measure yesterday. It'll be uh, voted on at next week's meeting. It's going to pass, but it'll be a year before it goes into effect in order to give businesses and everybody else, I guess, uh, time to adjust to the stupidity. Eric Stra- Erica, I should say, Erica Strasberger is the one who introduced the legislation. She says, there's a quote, um, it is about public health. It is about pride in our neighborhoods and reducing sources of litter. It is about thinking about a new way of doing business and challenging business owners to use their entrepreneurial spirit to do business in a different way. I wonder if Erica's ever even run a popsicle stand. I'm going to guess not, but I couldn't be wrong. Anyway, it's not about that. It's about doing something to make everybody involved feel good about saving the planet. And now you'll have to use paper bags or maybe bring those stupid cloth bags back and forth to the supermarket with you. This may seem like a trivial thing, but it's not. It's an example of people in power deciding to wield that power, and it will actually affect the life of everybody who lives in the city in some way. And it's annoying and an example of why we should give government as little power over our lives as possible. There's a great examples of that about every 15 minutes now. Now, I don't live in the city, so it's not going to affect me, but it's a stupid idea. And after the break, you'll hear from someone who will give you lots of facts that prove just how stupid it is. And in our second half hour, speaking of stupidity, a judge has actually ruled on a lawsuit that could finally put an end to illegal aliens voting in Pennsylvania elections. Stick around. When it's time to replace your roof, siding, gutters, and downspouts, entry doors, and, of course, windows, you can count on Windows R Us, the area's premier exterior replacement company. This is John Stoggerwall. With over 50 years' experience in the home remodeling industry, Windows R Us offers repair and replacement for all your exterior home projects. Why pay double with some other companies? Windows R Us will always give you the best price on the best in-class products, backed by the best warranties in the industry, all with zero sales pressure. And speaking of zero... Right now, get zero interest financing for 12 months and no processing fee with prices set to increase on all exterior products. Lock in your quote today. Schedule a free estimate and inspection today at windowsarustpittsburgh.com. You've tried the rest, now try the best. windowsarustpittsburgh.com. Dr. Gorka here, and I want to talk to you for a minute about the 100% drug-free relief factor. We all deal with aches and pains in our day-to-day lives, and I have had my fair share, including injuries like a detached quad muscle that, I can tell you, fell into the category of really bad pain. But I've been able to manage the pain by taking relief factor. It helps your own body to attack and fight off sources of inflammation, the source of most of our aches and pains, and I've loved it for years. Is now. Almost 70% of the more than half a million people who have tried Relief Factor end up ordering more. That's because it works for them the way it worked for me. Isn't it time for you to get out of pain? Your first step to becoming pain-free should be to order the three-week quick starter pack for the discounted price of only $19.95. Go to relieffactor.com, call 800-4-RELIEF to find out more about this offer. Feel the difference. Hey. I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. 
Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's. So thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover. All for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 3388 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 3388. Enjoy. Spring cleaning is upon us, but there's one meaningful box that you don't throw away when cleaning out your closet. It's the box filled with your family's important videotapes, film reels, and photos. Hi, I'm Adam Baselogger. And I'm Nick Mako. We started Legacy Box over a decade ago to help families organize and update their analog media to digital. Legacy Box is simple and easy. It works and is safe. Over a million families have trusted Legacy Box. And Legacy Box has been featured in Good Housekeeping, The Today Show, and Rachel Ray. Legacy Box is like magic, converting your shoebox of memories to the cloud or thumb drive, ready to watch and share. Declutter your closet by digitizing your media. Become more organized and accomplished, knowing your family's recorded past is safe forever. Take advantage of our spring cleaning sale going on now. It's the easiest task to check off your to-do list. Go to LegacyBox.com slash LBOX to get an incredible 50% off your Legacy Box. That's LegacyBox.com slash LBOX for 50% off while supplies last. LegacyBox.com slash LBOX. Let me ask you, what does your perfect wedding day look like? I'll bet you've imagined it over and over again. The crisp spring air, the fresh grass giving way beneath you as you walk towards your future, surrounded by the people you love the most. So what's in the way of you believing it's possible for you to have it? Are you believing the lie that you are meant to be alone? Or maybe you don't know what a Christian romance should look like or where to find it. Hi, I'm Jackie Dorman, and I invite you to join me in my free Married in 12 Months Challenge, where you will discover your heart's desire of a loving marriage. In this challenge, I'll teach you why now's your time to find love, what are the lies that are holding you back, why God wants you married, the biblical law of attraction, and the tools to become a bride. Don't wait any longer. Just sign up for my free Married in 12 Months 5-Day Challenge at lovestories.com and you can start your journey to find that lasting, loving relationship now. Join me at lovestories.com. This is the John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The Answer. Well, I, uh, I told you when I opened the show that Pittsburgh City Council was about to ban the use of individual plastic bags in the city. I noticed in the Pittsburgh Trib story yesterday that a poll showed most people agree with it. That's because most people are clueless about plastic bags and their effect on the environment. And that got me thinking about a segment that I did a while back with John Tierney of City Journal and the Manhattan Institute. It should be required listening for everybody on Pittsburgh City Council. Listen. My pleasure. Thanks, John. So it's a long and uh, detailed piece you wrote, and uh, it, it can be found at uh, city dot, not city dot, city hyphen journal dot org. Um, but it's a long and detailed piece, and everybody should read it. Uh, but one of my favorite parts is about how the plastic we put in our recyclable boxes, uh, in order for it not to end up in the ocean, uh, ends up in the ocean. How does that happen? Um, it, you know, it's crazy. The plastic panic, as I call it, is one of the most bizarre things. You know, I, I've railed about recycling in the past as being a waste of time and money. But, the, the, you know, but the plastic thing is even crazier because it's bad for the environment. And one way it is, the whole panic to recycle plastics, there's no market for plastic recyclables in this country. It's, it's too labor-intensive. So a lot of places, just even the, even when you put it in the recycling bin, they just fill it into the landfill. But the ones that do manage to get rid of it, that manage to find, you know, the pay extra to get someone to take it off their hands, it ends up going mostly to Asia, to countries like uh, Malaysia and Indonesia. It used to go to China. China, you know, said enough of it. And so now it goes to other countries. And these countries have very primitive waste systems. And, uh, and some of that plastic ends up just going into rivers there. And that's where... You know, the, uh, you know, people probably seen pictures of the of the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, um, and the, and the stuff in there. A lot of it comes from fishing boats, but the rest of it comes mainly from Asia. Um, and so, some of the stuff you put in your recycling bin ends up in the Pacific Ocean because it goes to these countries that do not handle their waste properly. So, if you really care about flipper and, and saving you know, and marine life, put the plastic in the trash can, not the recycling bin. Yeah, you have a sentence in your piece. It says. If you want to protect dolphins and sea turtles, you should take sp- 
special care to place your plastic in the trash. Uh, I don't think there are a lot of people out there who are going to buy that, John. I mean, I do. Uh, I don't recycle. Uh Haven't for a long time. Might have been because I've read some of your stuff. I don't know. But um, (laughs) I I just think I've always thought it's insane. No, I mean, it's basically a religion, you know. Um, my explanation for the recycling was that it's kind of a sacrament for the, you know, for this religion of environmentalism, and it's a way people atone for their guilt that they feel I'm buying too much stuff, I'm wasting stuff, so I'm going to recycle it and I'll feel better. And recycling is, is expensive and it's a waste of time. It costs cities extra money instead of just doing it, but at least it doesn't hurt the environment. But you know, recycling plastic, that stuff actually ends up in the ocean, which is bad. The other really bad part about this plastic panic is, I mean, this is something that really ought to embarrass environmentalists, is that when you ban plastic grocery bags, plastic straws, the net result of that is putting more carbon in the atmosphere. You know, San Francisco has estimated since they banned plastic grocery bags that the carbon emissions associated with grocery bags has perhaps doubled. And that's because when you ban those really thin plastic grocery bags that, you know, that involve very little energy to produce or transport, people replace them with paper bags or with thicker plastic bags, you know, those tote bags, and they have bigger carbon footprints. So basically, environmentalists who, who tell us that global warming is the greatest problem in the world, and then they you know, put these plastic ban policies in effect that are making the problem worse. It's just crazy, but it's it's this sort of religious emotional issue with people, and and uh, and I think there's also this thrill that a lot of people get of ordering other people around. What what's really amazing though is that there's a picture of a, a sea turtle with a, a straw coming out of his nose, um, and and you know 25 years ago millions of people would not have seen that picture. A lot of people would have. It would have been it would have shown up in various publications. But now with the internet, one picture like that can get people really scrambling. And I, I, I know for sure that that picture has gotten lots of people to stop using plastic, and I mean a lot because I, I hear about it all oh, the time. No. no, that's very true. And you know, there was this BBC documentary called Blue Planet that just had a huge impact, you know, an enormous audience around the world. It inspired, and it showed you know sea creatures at you know at risk from plastic. And you know, inspired Queen Elizabeth banned plastic, you know, straws and and and, uten- and uh, plates from her estates. Which is, I mean, it's kind of funny because you know, Queen Elizabeth may have the world's largest carbon footprint. She has six enormous estates. Yeah, but and she's yet, using paper straws now. Right, right, right. So, so that makes it all better. Even though those paper straws involve more carbon emissions. Now, I mean. I'm not saying that plastic pollution is not a problem in the ocean. It is, and it actually has been increasing. It's something we should worry about. But it's not because of the, the uh, of our plastic bags and straws. That that pollution does not come from the United States. It does not come from Europe. It is not because of our throwaway societies, everyone says. You know, we handle, generally in the United States, if we put stuff in a trash can, it goes to a landfill or an incinerator. It doesn't go to the ocean. The, the stuff that is in the ocean, you know, about half of it in the Pacific, they found, comes from, comes from fishing boats. So there's a lot of discarded nets that stays there, which they shouldn't be doing. I mean, it's illegal, for, you know, for mariners to, to litter the sea. And the effort we put into this, you know, these crazy campaigns against plastic and, and, and all this stuff, that would be better spent trying to enforce laws against littering, both in, you know, in the ocean and also along the coast. Um, but... The tra- you know, the plastic in the ocean comes from these countries that have fairly primitive waste managing facilities. You know, people just dump stuff illegally. You know, some plastic gets burned. There's toxic fumes. It just gets burned in, in people's sort of backyard um, factories, kind of, and the, and the toxic fumes. And some of it just ends up in rivers, and and then it eventually goes into the ocean. And you know, part of the and part of the reason that these countries in Asia and, and to some extent in Africa and South America have these fairly primitive waste management systems is is environmentalism. Because it used to be, you know, foreign aid donors um, and and government organizations to improve public health in developing countries, they would put a lot of effort into improving waste management. You know, to keep everything cleaner and healthier. But then in the last 
30 years or so, the environmental movement has put all this energy into sustainable development and, and recycling and saving energy, and, and so that's distracted from just building a functioning waste management system, and therefore you've got these primitive systems that allow plastic, you know, uh, uh, to end up in rivers and end up in the ocean. So what, uh, and you wrote about the, uh, and you, you, you covered a little bit of what you found from it, but explain what the uh, the Great Pacific Garbage Patch is and, and what we learned from that. Well, it, it's, a, it's a thing in the Northern Pacific where there's, I mean, it's not as dramatic as you think. You can't really see anything in the air, but, but it's a place where converging ocean currents tend to bring things and that they sit there. And about half of the stuff there, when they've analyzed it, um, it comes from fishing boats, and then and then almost and then the other stuff, the stuff that comes from shore, comes from Asia. You know, it, it, the consumer stuff. You know, the, it's food items and things that have you know that have labels from Asia there, and that's because these countries aren't handling their waste well enough. And we ought to be encouraging them not to not to litter the ocean. You know, there are laws and treaties forbidding this, but poor countries, you know, you know, don't have the money to do it. So it'd be nice to help them to do it, and we. Unfortunately, they're wasting all this money on you know sustainable development and and, and this other stuff that that is really not helping the environment or helping them. So we'd be you know much better off doing that. The um, you know and, and, and when you look at these facts, I mean I mean people there are environmentalists who do look at the facts and, and they're starting to say they're realizing we shouldn't be shipping our recyclables off to Asia, but, you know because you know, some of them end up in the ocean. We should stop that. But then they say, well, what the solution is we have to recycle everything here at home. We have to have a circular economy where nothing ever gets thrown out. And it's, you know, it's this impossible fantasy. I mean, there are so many different kinds of plastic, and sorting them out is enormously labor-intensive, and there's no demand for the material. So you basically, people spend all this time sorting it, and there's really not, nobody wants to buy it. Nobody wants, you know, you have to pay people to get rid of it because there just isn't that much use for it. The whole recycling movement was sort of started in, you know, in, in, um, in the 80s and in the 90s with this idea that there's an energy crisis, we're running out of oil, we have to conserve all this, these precious resources, we're running out of landfill space. None of that was true. And so it just turned out, you know, there's no reason we have plenty of room in landfills, we'll never run out of them. We don't. There's no shortage of petroleum or natural gas. We don't need to conserve it. Um, what we should do is, you know, use these products which require very little energy. They're wonderful. They're cheap. They're durable. They're waterproof. They're, you know, they're, they're these sort of miracle substances, which is what plastics used to be considered as. You know, they they preserve food so well. They prevent foodborne illnesses. They they do that. You know, one other effect of the of these plastic grocery uh, bag bans, as in San Francisco, is that since they banned plastic grocery bags, people started, you know, bringing in these tote bags more often, these reusable totes. Now, the reusable totes, they have a much bigger carbon footprint than the thin plastic bags, and people don't use them enough to, to compensate. You know, so as a result, San Francisco's you know greenhouse emissions may have doubled. The other impact, though, is that people do not wash out these totes. You're supposed to wash them every week, and, and virtually no one does. When they do studies, they find that all of them. You know, they've done studies in supermarkets, and they find that all the bags have bacteria in them. And in San Francisco. They found that after they banned plastic grocery bags, there was a 25% increase in visits to the emergency room and in deaths as a result of foodborne illness. <laughs> so it's just not sanitary to use those those tubs unless you're washing them. And if you're washing them, you're using more energy and, and putting more carbon in the atmosphere. you got to have that make that hot water. Um, the, uh, the big uh, supermarket chain here, has already said that they're going to eliminate uh, plastic bags, and everybody's just thrilled about it. Um, you, it it's just crazy, you know. It's insane. That, I mean, if environmentalists really cared about reducing carbon emissions, I mean, you, what you should encourage people to do is shop online. I mean, that actually does reduce you mm -hmm. know carbon emissions, and I, and but they don't do that because it would make lives it would make people's lives easier. And I think a lot of the appeal of these bans. Is it's sort of virtue signaling. It, it enables you know people to feel I'm morally virtuous. I'm not using plastic bags, and I'm 
yeah, oh, yeah. everyone I'm, else from doing I, I care deeply about our planet. Um, we have a few minutes left, and we're, we're talking to John Tierney. He's a uh, science writer, a columnist at the New York Times, and a contributing editor at City Journal. Um, and a Central Catholic alumnus, too. Oh, okay. Have, we, have, have you been on here before? Uh, I, th- I think we have had you on before. Uh, Central Catholic. Yeah, no, I'm a loyal Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, uh, I worked at the Pittsburgh Press. That was one of my first newspaper jobs a long time ago. And you knew my so, brother Bill, I guess. Uh, I did. I'm a huge fan of Bill. Yeah. yeah. So, um, well, here's and, the thing. Uh, uh, I, I only have a couple of minutes. So I want to get to this. Um, you have. Uh, you wrote about they they banned little plastic bottles of shampoo in hotels out there in California. Um, I don't. Know, I guess maybe it's just San Francisco. And you call that an old fashioned sumptuary law. Sumptuary law. What what is that? And uh, how far back does that go? And how does that relate to what they're doing now? Well, sanctuary laws were these things that they were especially prevalent in the Middle Ages and you know during the Renaissance. But they would pass all these laws that what products people could use, and it was it was mainly it was sort of nobles would say that commoners are not allowed to wear certain kinds of clothes. You can't wear satin or silk. You can't have silk curtains in your home. And they had various rationales for these laws that supposedly to save money to prevent imported fabrics from da da da. But the real reason that they persisted, the laws never worked, but they never achieved their stated purpose, but they really gave rulers and the nobility a chance to lord it over the, you know, commoners. And I think that's what what, the, what is really at heart the basic motivation for these plastic bans. That's happening and, now, uh, though. You, I mean, think, also, you think that's yeah, motivation now? I think that the underlying thing is that it's, you know, that the, the politicians and environmentalists can feel virtuous that as they're flying, that as they're burning all this fuel flying to vacation homes and climate conferences, um, and, and, you know, and, and with their own huge carbon footprints, that they can say, well, at least I'm not, I'm, I've banned the grocery bags and I'm not using plastic bags. It's a way to, to feel better about it. It's also, you know, what I call, um, I call it part of the crisis crisis. You know, um, I've just published a book called The Power of Bad to look at how politicians are constantly creating crises. These politicians in the media, the merchants of bad, as I call them, are always sort of promoting crises that enable them to expand their power, to have more regulations, and basically in, in benefit special interests and, and grow the government. And, and then I they can also the save you from the bad, that they create bad that they can then come to the rescue on. They basically scare you by hyping crises. That's a crisis crisis. And yeah. then they end up, you know, with, it gives them an excuse to grow the government and, and institute policies that, that, that make the problem worse instead of solving it. I, that's, I have, so, you know, that's it. I'm sorry. I have like 45 seconds left here, so I, I'm up against a hard break. But bottom line here is that people who are so almost religiously, meticulously, um, making sure that they separate their garbage and put their plastic in little blue boxes and put them out in the street. Basically, they're they're making things worse. I got thirty seconds. That's exactly right. When you put stuff in the recycling bin, it's more likely to end up in the ocean than if you put it in the trash. And using a thin grocery bag puts less carbon in the atmosphere than using the bigger than using the tote bag or a paper bag. So you're you're not helping the environment. Hey, John. I really appreciate it. I'm fresh out of time. John Tierney, thanks a lot. Go Central. Thank you, John. With SRN News, I'm Bob Agnew in Washington. The U.S. Supreme Court is going to have its first ever African-American female after a confirmation vote today in the U.S. Senate. On this vote, the A's are 53 the nays are 47, and this nomination is confirmed. The Senate voting to confirm Katondri Brown-Jackson to the court, Democrat Senator Dick Durbin. We want to make our justice system look much more like America. And today we took a giant stride forward in giving this judge, Katondri Brown-Jackson, her chance, her lifetime chance, to serve on the United States Supreme Court. Jackson got some support from Republicans, not from Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, who fears she'll seek to legislate from the bench. The Senate should only confirm justices who will follow the text of our laws. Now that she is confirmed, Jackson will be sworn in this summer to replace a retiring Justice Stephen Breyer. This is SRN News. 
This story is called The Ugly Truth About Timeshares. If you think you've done your family a favor by buying a timeshare, well, you need my help. Hello, I'm Chuck McDowell, founder and CEO of Wesley Financial Group. Ten years ago, I started helping folks cancel their timeshare. And the process started what's now called the timeshare cancellation industry. Timeshare is the only thing that you can buy that you can't tell me how much it's going to cost or when it's going to end. When you buy a timeshare, you give them a blank check to fill out any amount they want for annual maintenance and assessment fees. Sounds crazy, right? Well, the crazy thing is this never ends. Stop the insanity today. Call my office now. I guarantee if we can't cancel your timeshare, you'll pay nothing. Were you lied to in buying a timeshare and want out? Get the facts about timeshare cancellation. Call Wesley now for your free information kit. 800-691-9999. 800-691-9999. 1250, The Answer, The Mike Gallagher Show. He's your happy conservative warrior. Look at me. I'm Amy Schumer. I got 19 billion followers on Instagram. I'm going to tell my followers why I'm triggered. Me, you triggered. What happens when you're triggered? Do you wet your pants? Do you cry? Do you curl up in a fetal position? Do you vomit? What happens when you're triggered? I'd love to know. The Mike Gallagher Show. Weekdays at 9, right before Dennis Prager at noon on AM 1250. The Answer. Research shows that people remember radio ads with a booming voice that emphasizes all the main points. So to help you remember that Liberty Mutual Insurance Company customizes your home insurance so you only pay for what you need. That part is super important. Here's one with a booming voice. I'm emphasizing everything. Liberty Mutual customizes your home insurance. Like a page with every word highlighted. Only pay for what you need at LibertyMutual.com. Liberty, 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 Liberty. Liberty, 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 Liberty. This view was worth a hike. Right? And it's a good way to stay on top of my health. Yes. I'm Cologuard, a prescription colon cancer screening option for people 45 plus at average risk. Have you screened for colon cancer? Not yet. Don't wait. It's more treatable when caught in early stages. Tell me more. Cologuard is non-invasive and it's used at home. It detects altered DNA in your stool to find 92% of colon cancers. 92%? Yep, even those in early stages. This was seen in a clinical study with patients 50 and older. Any positive result should be followed by a diagnostic colonoscopy. False positive and negative results may occur. Cologuard is not a replacement for colonoscopy in high-risk patients. Do not use if you have had adenomas, have inflammatory bowel disease and certain hereditary syndromes, or a personal or family history of colon cancer. Most insured patients pay $0. Ask your provider or an online prescriber if Cologuard is right for you. Or visit Cologuard.com. I'm in. AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The Answer. WPGP Pittsburgh. 2223 CS Pittsburgh. A division of Salem Media Group. Listen on the Answer mobile app, smart speakers, tune in, iHeart, or Odyssey. Stuck in traffic? We've got the answer. Solid jam out there on southbound 79. That's an accident causing the big backup from Noblestown Road to pass South Point Boulevard. Avoid it if you can. Outbound Parkway East, meanwhile, heavy Forbes Avenue up to the Squirrel Hill Tunnel. That's about a 15-minute delay. Outbound 28, around an 18-minute delay between 40th Street Bridge and Highland Park Bridge. That's a look at traffic. I'm Jenny Robinson. AM 1250, The Answer. Weather. Mostly cloudy skies for tonight. A shower in places will see a low of 36. Mostly cloudy tomorrow, a passing shower or two. There could be small hail and a rumble of thunder. We'll see a high of 49. Couple of showers of rain or snow tomorrow night with a low of 35. For Saturday, mostly cloudy skies and chilly with a couple of showers, maybe mixed with snow early in the day. We'll see a high Saturday of 45. With your back, you weather forecast, I'm Drew Shannon. The John Steigerwall Show, AM 1250, The Answer. I don't know about you, but I've given up on the idea of overturning the 2020 uh, presidential election. A lot of people out there still haven't. The point now should be to make sure the person who actually gets the most legal votes wins in November and in 2024. Uh, The chances of that happening in Pennsylvania may have gotten a little better a couple of days ago. Jay Christian Adams is the president of the Public Interest Legal Foundation. He's here to tell us why. Jay Christian Adams, thanks for being here. Hey, John. Thanks for having me. So what happened? Well, you know, Pennsylvania, PennDOT, we've talked about this on your show before. PennDOT was screwing up for two decades and letting non-citizens, foreigners, get in on the voter rolls when they went to go get a driver's license. And we learned about it. And we asked, you know, the Secretary of State, 
show us how bad the problem is. Give us your records. Let us see what you're doing to fix it. And she basically told us to go away. So we sued the Pennsylvania Secretary of State three years ago. And finally, 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 we won this week. And the court said that PennDOT, the Secretary of State, they have to come clean and tell the public how they screwed up so badly by putting foreigners on the voter rolls in Pennsylvania for 20 years. So how many citizens in, in how many elections are we talking about here? Well, non-citizens. that's I one of the say. things we wanted to know. We know that there were somewhere between 10,000 and 100,000 foreigners who got on the voter rolls in Pennsylvania since about 1995. And so they're going to have to give us the exact number and all the times they voted now. We're going to be able to know how many votes they cast. Yeah, but um, why did the Commonwealth uh, deny the request for the information, or at least what reason did they give you? Well, that that gets to the heart of the problem, doesn't it? And the reason uh, that, the, and remember, the Secretary of State is appointed by the governor of Pennsylvania, so this is really the governor who did all this, and they just didn't want to. They didn't want to show their mistakes. They didn't want the public to know. I mean, this is a crazy story. The government of Pennsylvania was letting foreign citizens get on the voter rolls for 20 years. It's the kind of stuff that makes you scratch your head and say, well, who are these knuckleheads? And they, you know, it's like any government. They don't want to, they don't want to reveal how badly they screw things up, like Fast and Furious, you know, with Eric Holder. I mean, it's the same old story as old as time. But is is this is one thing that you discovered and you uh, sued in order to uh, make them come clean on it. But is this just one example? Uh, are there other examples like this where questions have been raised, either by you or other people, where the uh, state just says, uh, leave us alone, we're not going to talk about that? Yeah, I mean, we've, we've had to sue Pennsylvania. We've sued Pittsburgh. Pennsylvania had four uh, dead people. On the voter rolls, we sued him, you remember, right before the election. And one lady was named Judith Presto. She died in 2013 and voted in the 2020 election. Uh, her husband got arrested. Uh, she's buried out in the South Hills. You know, and she was casting a ballot. Uh, and there were lots more like her, 25,000 other dead people on the voter rolls in the 2020 election that the Secretary of State wouldn't clean up. We had to go to federal court. After the election, she finally agreed to clean it up. So, you look, it's an ongoing problem in Harrisburg. You've got a governor and an administration that doesn't take it seriously, attacks people who care about election integrity. Uh, and this is just another example of the dead people that were on the voter rolls in the presidential election. And, you know, you point to one example of a, a dead uh, woman who cast a vote. Is that important because you don't know how many there are like her? And is it just important because if you find one, that could that could mean that there are thousands more? And that's the point of getting the, the state to come clean? Well, there was a systems breakdown. They were registering voters who were dead. They should have caught this at the front end. Remember, Judith Presto died in 2013. And I'm serious. She's buried out in the veteran cemetery down in the South Hills. I, I went, I went to her grave. I got a photo of it. And so she died in 13, but she got registered to vote in 2020, right? The state should have caught that. They should have, been, they should have something that prevents that from happening, but they don't. And so, you know, it's a, it's a problem across the Commonwealth where they're just dropping the ball. Remember, there was a guy from Swissvale who was registered to vote seven times. Lafayette, uh, uh, oh, heavens, I, I can't remember his name. But he was registered in Swissville seven times, John, and the state screwed that up. So it's, it's an ongoing problem with the election officials in Harrisburg. You, uh, you, guys, you guys winning that lawsuit, what does this do for the future attempts to get voter information uh, and get the, the votes to, um, well, the right, the right people's votes to count? Yeah, it's huge because Pennsylvania, we have now beaten them over and over and over again when they try to hide uh, information from the public and when they try to pretend that it's no big deal to have 25,000 dead people on the rolls. We're winning these cases, and hopefully the, the Commonwealth, the Secretary of State, and the governor are realizing that you got to follow the law. You can't run some 
crazy jalopy election system, uh, you know, federal courts are agreeing with us. This is not just a bunch of paranoid, you know, uh, uh, January Sixers or whatever you want to call us. We're, we're, we're winning cases to get the state to start to follow the law and run clean elections. Is the first response, uh, and, and this is what you do every day of your life, is uh, work on election integrity, uh, election fraud, that kind of thing. Um, is, the, is the reaction that you expect from Democrats, uh, maybe, maybe not just Democrats, but everybody, do you just expect them to just dismiss it out of hand anytime you bring up fraud, if not ridicule you for suggesting that it exists? No, John, particularly the officials in Harrisburg. I've never seen anything like it. I, you remember, I do this around the country. I, I've, I have a case in Alaska. I, I've had cases in Florida. Uh, every corner of the country, I do this stuff. And I've never seen officials react like they do in Harrisburg. They're one of a kind. Uh, it's so bad, just to share one more story, when we tried to serve the Secretary of State of Pennsylvania, uh, a woman who lived in Montgomery County, I think, she actually called the local police. She called the local, and when you serve, you, you give them the lawsuit. You give them a copy of the lawsuit. She called the local police and chased our guy down with a local sheriff to, to intimidate him. It's like something out of you know, the 1920s, you know, with the mafia. And so you, you just see so many crazy things in Harrisburg. You just can't believe it. You can't believe it. It's like it's one of the worst run election offices in the entire country. And I could tell you a little bit about every state because I'm, I'm almost in every state. We're suing like 20 percent of the states in the country. And and I'm telling you, Harrisburg, they're defensive. They don't tell the truth. They hide their mistakes. They view their citizens with contempt. Uh, you know, they're too important to be bothered about doing their job. And that, that's the attitude we get from Harrisburg all the time. Now, is this Democrats in Harrisburg? Uh, you've been doing this for a while, or did you get the same response in some cases from Republicans? No, your legislature, which is run by the Republicans, are trying to fix things. Mm -hmm. They're actually doing good work. It's the, <clears throat> remember, in Pennsylvania, the chief election official is called the Secretary of, of, the, of the Commonwealth, or Secretary of State, and this person is appointed by the governor of Pennsylvania. So the person who runs your elections is appointed by the governor himself. And the worst office I've seen in the country is Pennsylvania. They don't know what they're doing. They make mistakes. They've screwed up ballot initiative questions where they don't put something on the ballot, you might remember one mistake after another, and that's why you've been through like three or four secretaries of state in the last five years, is because they have to keep resigning because they're so bad. But the governor keeps picking bad people, right, to replace the last bad one. And so I can't explain it, why you have such a messed up election system in the states. It's, it's the worst in the country. And you're from here, right? I'm from Greensburg. I, yeah. I grew up in Greensburg. I went to Hemfield. Yeah, so uh, you you know it just from from your living here, what Pennsylvania politics are like. Um, now, what you describe is that incompetence more than dishonesty, or dishonesty more than incompetence, or equal doses of both. Well, it's incompetence. It's so bad it starts to turn into deliberate dishonesty. It's like this arrogance, like no one can touch us. Like we can we can put dead people on the rolls. We can register people to vote seven times in Swissvale. We could forget to put a ballot question on the ballot that was supposed to be on. And no one can touch us because, you know, we're insulated. Governor Wolf loves us. We're his chosen election officials because he appoints us. And so there's this attitude that they're above the law and they're above accountability. And to, to a large extent, John, it's true. I mean, they, they really uh, they there's no accountability with your chief election official, because the governor runs interference for him. And, you know, it, it, it takes a disaster for them to be fired, like when they forgot to add some things to the ballot about three or four years ago. We're talking to Jay Christian Adams. He's the president of the Public Interest Legal Foundation, and he's in the business of uh, chasing after voter fraud. Um, and speaking of Pennsylvania, uh, Christian, what do you make of a report that Attorney General Bill Barr 
uh, wouldn't provide whistleblower, and he's a Republican, if I'm not mistaken, uh, he wouldn't provide whistleblower protection to the guy who claims to have driven a truck loaded with 280,000 filled-out ballots from New York to Pennsylvania on Election Day, or close to Election Day in 2020, and that he and the Postal Service, I'm talking about Barr and the Postal Service, refused to investigate this. Yeah, that's a shame because it, it wouldn't be that hard to figure out if it was credible or not, right? I mean, some of these trucks are hooked up with GPSs. There's inventory. There's all kinds of ways to get to the bottom of something. It's like in Lehigh County, uh, just this week, the, the district attorney in Lehigh County refused to prosecute people who were on video, on video breaking state law by dropping, you know, bunches of ballots into drop boxes. You're, in Pennsylvania, you're only allowed to, like, drop off one or maybe a family member. These people are dropping off armfuls of, of ballots, uh, and, and clearly it seems breaking state law. And the DA in Lehigh, uh, what is that, Lehigh County, where Allentown is, said that he's not going to prosecute anybody. I mean, it's like, okay, why do we have laws, right? Why do we have them in the first place if, if the people in charge don't enforce them? Well, William McSwain uh, was U.S. attorney at the time of this uh, truck issue uh, at election time. And he's now running for governor of Pennsylvania. He was told to back off by – he claims yeah. – he sent a – I saw the, uh, the, the letter the, or the, the statement that he sent to Donald Trump and said, listen, I tried to raise this issue and your attorney general told me to back off. What does well, that say? let me tell you about William – I'll tell you about Bill McSwain. In a dark, dark landscape of Pennsylvania uh, for the last you know, five years, Bill McSwain is one of the bright spots. He took it seriously in Philadelphia. He took election crime seriously and did more uh, for election integrity in Pennsylvania than just about anybody in the last 20 years. So I, I have nothing but positive things to say about Mr. McSwain. Um, are there any election fraud charges anywhere that are being prosecuted right now? Well, there haven't been on a federal level, John, let me, let me tell you and your listeners something utterly frightening and staggering for since 2008. So we're talking what now, 14 years since 2008, there've only been two federal voter fraud prosecutions in the entire country, two, one in North Carolina and one in Texas for non-citizen voting. The rest of the country basically got shut down, just like McSwain said, uh, by Maine Justice in Washington, D.C., where I used to work, by a guy named Richard Pilger, who was like the gatekeeper of election crimes prosecutions in Washington, D.C., at the Justice Department. He shut them all down. I went on Fox News like five times saying he should have been fired. And, and so... Two election crimes prosecutions by the federal government in 14 years. That's what's been going on in this country. If you don't prosecute voter fraud, you get more voter fraud. But that uh, 14 years, that would include some Republican uh, attorneys general and some Republican um, prosecutors. So it has to be both parties just don't want to touch voter fraud. Or, or is it just they, they just dismiss it too quickly? Just now, be- you've got to understand how the swamp works. Remember, I used to be a civil servant inside the Justice Department, mm-hmm. and, and people inside the Justice Department know how to stymie and frustrate Republican presidents. That they're, they're experts at it. There's only four years of a Republican president in there, and that was, uh, that was Trump. And, and they, know, uh, they know how to kill stuff bureaucratically. And that's exactly what Richard Pilger, I'm going to say the name again, he's the guy in charge of election crimes at the DOJ. He's the fellow who was stopping voter fraud prosecutions. And so it's all about the swamp. It's not, the, the, listen, guys, the bureaucracy is untethered from the president. The bureaucracy thinks they're the president. And that's what's been happening in this country in Washington for the last you know, 15 years is the the swamp thinks they run things, not the White House. And that's uh, why they hate Donald Trump so much, isn't it? Because as an outsider, he came in, looked around and saw what was going on. And the fact that he 
was not used to it and was not aware of how ridiculous it is made him dangerous because he started asking questions as a, as a businessman. This is this is me with my uh, observation of it. I just get the feeling that he came in there and not just with this issue but so many other issues, and he said, "Wait a minute, what are you telling me? Who what who who came up with this contract?" Who's, who came up with this deal with NATO and they're not paying and what we are? And right. every day he came across things where he said, who does this? Who, who comes up with deals like this? Not just um, fraud, but stupidity. And, 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 John, if the people listening right now who are driving around the North Hills and, and you know, in Oakland and going through the Squirrel Hill Tunnel knew how much money D.C. bureaucrats make, like $170,000 a year, plus benefits, and they don't have to show up for work. I know these people. I worked with them. They have the easiest jobs in the world. They haven't been to work for two years, some of them. They're still working from home, and they're making close to $200,000 a year. And it's not just the agency heads. <clears throat> it's the rank and file are making $150,000, $170,000, $140,000 a year for not showing up for work. There's thousands of them like that in D.C. Good so, work. You Go, know, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, good work if you can get it. Right. Right. Um, we're talking to Christian Adams. Got a couple minutes left here. He's the president of the Public Interest Legal Foundation. I want to ask you also about Wisconsin. I've seen a couple of things pop out of there in the last few weeks. Um, and, uh, of course, some of that was shot down immediately as being more craziness from the Republicans who won't let it won't let it die and won't accept Trump's loss. But... What do you know about what they found up there and how legitimate it is? Well, look, I, I mean, that what you're referring to is something called a Gableman report. And one of the things that happened in Wisconsin was you had this private funding going into government election offices. And it was the biggest story of 2020. I'm telling you, it's the number one reason Donald Trump lost. They did it in Philadelphia, too, in Allentown and Pittsburgh. But in Philadelphia, they turned it into a turnout machine. They were buying urban and Hispanic radio ads saying, go get, go out to vote. They weren't buying those same ads on, on, you know, Dom Giordano's show or, or Chris Steiger's show, um, you know, conservative talk. And so what happened was all this private money turned into a big get out the vote operation. And that's what happened in Philadelphia. Same thing happened in Madison and Milwaukee. And that's one of the things in this report is talking about how Government election officials were getting private money from Mark Zuckerberg, his his charity, five hundred million dollars. We're not talking about like, you know, enough to buy a new printer. We're talking about enough to alter the entire landscape of the election. And that's what happened in 2020. Uh, and that's what this report in Wisconsin shows. So could, could you explain that some more? Um, so Zuckerberg, he the, he he spends money with. What's supposed to be election officials just to uh, ensure integrity in the election, but then they use it for themselves to promote themselves? Is that what happens? Well, almost. What he did is he gave money to a charity in Chicago yeah. called the Center for Technology and Civic Life. That $500 million, half a billion dollars, that's a B, like in boy. Mm -hmm. This money was redirected to places like the Philadelphia Election Office and other government agencies. And Zuckerberg told them what they need to do. They need to do things like go to door to door in North Philadelphia and collect ballots. They need to do things like buy ads on radio, urban radio stations and urge people to get out to vote. They need to do things like hire lots of city employees to go door to door in across Philadelphia to target quote underserved communities to collect their ballots by hand. And that's legal if they're city employees, right? These aren't third parties. These are now city employees. And so all of this money was being used to change how we run the election and basically to get out as many votes as possible against Donald Trump. It happened to a lesser extent in Pittsburgh. It happened to a greater extent in Detroit, Milwaukee, Madison, Phoenix, Atlanta. Wow. And so these places got millions of dollars to run a get-out-the-vote campaign in these urban centers. Hey, i got to go. Christian, I'm out of time. Jay Christian Adams, a president of the Public Interest Legal Foundation. Thanks. Thanks, Sean. Bye-bye. Okay, we'll be right back.
We all want to eat healthy, but have you ever read the ingredients list off of your favorite snack? Between the hard-to-pronounce ingredients and man-made additives, it's difficult to find anything made from real, natural ingredients. Even some of my favorite organic snacks have ingredients I haven't heard of. At Balance of Nature, we know the value of real nutrition that can only be found in real food. That's why the only things you'll find on our ingredients list are real whole fruits and vegetables. No additives, fillers, or artificial ingredients of any kind. Balance of Nature is the best whole fruit and vegetable product on the market, delivering your body everything it needs to function at its very best. Eat better and feel better. Start your journey to better health. Call 1-800-246-8751 or go to balanceofnature.com to get free shipping and don't forget to get 35% off your first preferred order by using discount code BALANCE. This is the John Stacker Walt show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The answer. Here's a heartwarming story for you. Uh the First United Church that's in, I believe, uh, oh, it's in Oak Park, Illinois. And here's what the, uh, the First United Church is doing. They're fasting from whiteness for 40 days. Uh, this Lent, we will build our worship life around the voices of black people, indigenous people, and people of color. They've pledged to intentionally avoid musical sto- scores and liturgical contributions in the worship services that are, quote, written or composed by white people for the first for the forty days of Lent. Uh, they announced it on their website, and a sign posted in the front lawn at the uh, First United Church of Oak Park says, "This is a sign outside the church. Just as you ride by any church in the next ten minutes, think of the sign being in front of it: fasting from whiteness in big letters. That's what they're doing. I'm just wondering if they have white." Uh, and colored water fountains, too, because they ought to do that, too. They're going to go that far. Let's just go the whole way back and just go back to segregation. That's what they're doing at a church in Illinois, fasting for whiteness. Yuck. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye. The John Staggerwald Show is a production of the Answer Pittsburgh and Salem Media Group. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.